Um, this is the super intense and dramatic and emotional topic of time management. So we're going to talk time management for a minute. And here's why, though, okay? Um, every time I ask someone who is in college or high school, and middle school in eighth grade probably, not so much as, as seventh or sixth grade, but this will be important to you as well, um, I say, how are you doing? And the number one response, hands down, is, I'm tired, I'm stressed, um, you're back from summer vacation for a day and a half, how are you doing? Man, I need a vacation. And I get that, I'm there as well, amen? Um, but here's kind of the cool thing about Jesus, I think, um, the wonderful thing about the gospel is that it's highly practical. Um, the, this is what that means. The good news of what Jesus has done, right? The good news of what Jesus has done isn't just this fact that like sits there and you just know it and it just sits over here. The news of what has happened impacts us, right? News of things that happen in the world impact our lives. And the news of what Jesus has done works its way into every part of your life, including time management. Um, why is this important? Why on earth are we talking about this on a Wednesday night? Time management sounds like a TED talk or a seminar. Why are we talking about time management? Um, because how you manage your time will directly impact your relationship with God, which will then impact your relationship with other people. So how you manage your time will directly impact your relationship with God, which will then directly impact your relationship with other people. Does that make sense? So it all starts with how we spend our time and how we manage our time. Um, I love the Harry Potter books, okay? I grew up on HP, and I loved it. Um, I was 14 when I read Goblet of Fire. Harry was 14 in Goblet of Fire, so no big deal. Um, I love those books. The movies are pretty good, but the books are masterpieces. And there's this wonderful scene. I don't think any of your parents are going to email me. I don't think. Maybe one or two. We'll see. Um, but there's an awesome... Thank you, Bo. Um, there's this awesome scene in, towards the end of Sorcerer's Stone. It's not giving anything away. It's not in the movie. No, oh, shocker. It's not in the movie, but it's in the book. And it's this great scene where Harry and Hermione, they've already done the chess thing, right? Harry and Hermione, some of you just kind of stick with me if you're not really sure what's going on. Um, but Harry and Hermione are on their way to the Sorcerer's Stone. And there's this scene, it, again, it's not in the movies, but in the books, Professor Snape has laid out this challenge where there's fire on this side. And there's this line of potions here. And one of them is wine, I mean grape juice, and one of them is, you know, this, thanks, and one of them is like the, the antidote that gets him through the fire, and one of them is able, enables him to go back, and there's all, and her, her, you know, Harry is completely useless as usual and has no idea what's going on, and Hermione looks, and she's like, oh my gosh, it's logic, and she gets this big smile, and Harry's like, what are you talking about? Why are you so happy that, it, that it's a riddle, that it's logic? And Hermione says this, a lot of the great wizards haven't got an ounce of logic. They'd be stuck in here forever. And it's this idea that since they can do everything through magic, they don't have to think about anything. Does that make sense? Since they can do everything through magic, they don't have to think about anything. They don't have to use their brains because they can just magic everything. What does it have to do with time management, you ask? I think religious people do this all the time. We think 
that since we've given our lives to Jesus, the rest of our life outside of church, outside of heaven, doesn't matter. But giving your life to Jesus affects every part of your life. Um, Their personal lives, their families, their homes are just a complete mess. But they're in church on Sunday. And we think that that's good. Like that's, hey, we got the big stuff covered. We're okay. That's what Christians do. And no, 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 that's not the case. The gospel doesn't just affect you at church. What Jesus did for you doesn't just affect you at church. So we just check out of everything else. The gospel affects every piece of your life. What Jesus Christ, and what is the gospel? What does that mean? What Jesus Christ did for you on the cross, the news of what he has done for you, that news has an effect on your world. That news impacts how you spend money. That news impacts relationships. That news impacts church, sure. And it also impacts time management. We think about, because we're, we're, we're focused on the religion and the music and the Bible, and we don't focus on real-life situations. And the goal of what Jesus did was to take the Bible and apply it to real-life situations, to apply the gospel to when you're going through a hard time, to apply the gospel to relationships, to apply it. In light of that news, how does this impact how I see this boy? In light of this news, how does this impact what I do with my paycheck? In light of this news, how does this impact what I do around my friends? And time management is one of those things. And I think this is a deeply important issue for high school and middle school. Okay, um, I was looking up, doing a little research, and the Washington Post uh, posted an article a couple years ago just about all the mess that you guys have to deal with. And there is. There's, this generation is different. Every generation is different, which means this generation is too. Um, some of the things they said, number one, uh, basically all of you guys are sleep deprived. Shocker there, right? No big news there. Um, and we could talk about that at some point. And some of that's your fault and some of it's not, okay? So most of your generation is sleep deprived. Um, you're, and this, I thought this was really cool. Your parents and people ahead of you typically, not always, but your parents typically have about one boss at their job. Does that make sense? They have one person that they report to. You have at least six different bosses in six different teachers, and they all have assignments due when? At the exact same time. So you're serving six different bosses at the same time. On top of extracurricular stuff, such as coaches and teachers and drama and band, on top of parental expectations that they have of you, which are not bad, but I'm just saying that's another thing. All the while, you're trying to figure out your future, which you don't know, okay? If any of you start to break out into a sweat, that's this any point we have tissues in the back, okay? Um, so here's what we're going to do tonight. I want to walk you guys through three different things that I think may help with time management, and then towards the end, we're going to look at a text in Scripture where Jesus directly addresses time management, which I think is really cool because that's thousands of years ago. You know what I mean? There really wasn't a lot of time back then, but Christ addresses it, so that's cool. Um, so three things to help with time management, and then we'll get into some, some Scripture, okay? Uh, and these points are laced with Scripture. This isn't just me thinking, okay? Number one, understand seasons of life, Okay? I know that sounds like a song. It's not. Understand seasons of life. Here's what I mean. 
Uh, this is a big one, especially for middle school, high school. There's a great podcast called The Craig Grow Show Podcast where this guy just answers all these questions about leadership and training and all kinds of good stuff. And he answers letters from fans that have questions. This woman wrote in and said, I'm a single mother of a one-year-old, okay? I'm a single mom and I have a one-year-old. And I'm, and I'm not, I can't read the books that I used to read anymore that I used to have time to. I can't go to movies. I can't hang out with my friends nearly as much as I used to. What should I do? How do I fix this, right? Single mother, one-year-old, how do I fix this? And his response was, you can't really fix this. I mean, as the child gets older, you'll be able to do some more things as that child becomes more independent. But for now, you're the single mother of a one-year-old. That's not going to change. Of course, you're not going to be able to go do everything that you wish you could do right now. Don't spin your wheels trying to get out of this season. You're meant to be in this season. The child is one, and you're a single mother. You're going to be busy. You're not going to get to do all the stuff you used to do right now. So don't spin your wheels trying to fix it. Um, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, has, it's, that, it's that section of Scripture where it says there's a time for everything, a time to do this, and a time to do that, and a time to do this. And there's something that says a time to keep things and a time to throw them away, a time to search and a time to give up as lost, a time to scatter and gather, a time to laugh and a time to cry. So Ecclesiastes is saying there will be specific seasons in your life where this will happen. Stop chasing that boy. This is the season, the time where it's time to let this go. Stop trying to fix. I know this is crazy. Stop trying to fix this friendship that's broken. They're angry and they're buried in it and you've done the best you can. You have to let this go now. The Bible is commanding you to drop this for now, to let this go for now. And you can do it with Jesus' approval, right? Um, a time to laugh. If it's a really happy, you know, like there's like, there used to be an SNL skit called Debbie Downer where like they were at Disney World and she would always say these like super depressing things. Like we have friends that like bring, you know, we're at Six Flags, really? Can, can we talk about childhood obesity later? Like, or the tax season later? Um, but like, there are friends that just bring it. Like, you're in a season, you're in a moment, you're in a time of joy. Don't, don't bring it down. You see, so there are seasons that are meant to be seasons. Don't spin your wheels trying to change that. Psalm 139.16, In your book, Lord, all the days of my life were written before they began. So before your life started, the Lord wrote out what's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's, he's not going to be, oh, no, you're right. Sorry, sorry, sorry. He's not going to do that. Like, it's going to happen. There are seasons in your life, seasons of laughter, seasons of difficulty, seasons of ease, and seasons of busyness. Here's why I'm bringing this up. What's, seasons, what's going on? So often, I think, People are unhappy, not because they have a heavy workload, but because they have a heavy workload, because they're supposed to, and they're trying to force their way out of a season that God has ordained. So your heart is struggling because you're trying to get out of this. I want this to end. I want this to be done. I want this to be over. And the Lord is not ready for it to be over yet. 
So you see how you're trying to like claw up the wall and it's just not happening? You're wearing yourself out for a season that's not supposed to change yet. Can you imagine if like, you know, in January, right? Um, we went to Passion last year and there was a uh, technology malfunction outside Phillips Arena and it was January 2nd at 8 o'clock at night in Georgia and we had to wait outside for an hour and a half. I thought we were all going to get hypothermia or frostbite or a mixture of the two. And it was freezing cold, right? It was so cold. Imagine if you walked out of your house in January and you were like, can you believe how cold it is? Like you're, like you're mad. It's January in Georgia. Like what do, you want, what do you want me to, how do I fix this? Like how do you make this better? And you say, that's ridiculous, Ryan. But that's exactly what you do when the Lord has put you in a season of busyness and you're so angry because you're trying to change it, it's like fighting the weather. You see that? You're in this season. It's supposed to be busy. Um, it's supposed to be difficult right now. You know? You pray for something to get better, get better, get better, get better, get better, and the Lord just... We talked about this last week, right? And the Lord just won't lift His hand right now. It's not because He's being mean, but this season is meant to do something. Don't fight against the season all the time. Um, you know, we'll say stuff like this. Uh, high schoolers, when I go to visit them at lunch, they'll say stuff like, I just don't have as much fun as I did when I was in middle school. Well, you're a senior in high school. You're becoming an adult. You're in that season. I'd be very worried if you were like, you know, how was Sunday afternoon? It was great. I played tag outside with my friends. Did you? Okay, all right. Um, exercise, I guess. But, like, aren't you applying for college? Aren't you, don't you have three APs right now? Like, what are, you, what are you doing? It sounds like you're trying to fight your way out of that season. Does that make sense? Middle schoolers say this. Here we go. Middle schoolers, uh, um, especially eighth graders, seventh and sixth grade, not as much, but I'm starting to hear it more. Middle schoolers, I can't wait to be in high school, right? Because high school is the promised land, right, high schoolers? High schoolers, especially juniors and seniors, can't wait for college. College students, you'll see this. You'll see this. College students, especially um, when I run into them on Thursdays at the college stores, I am, how are you doing? Oh, I'm so ready to graduate. Wait, I thought you were ready for college. And I'm just, I just can't wait to graduate. Adults, for some of them, man, I, can't, I just wish I could go back to college. I wish I could go back. Senior citizens, oh, I wish I could be young again. Oh, my gosh. Well, when you were young, you just wanted to get older. Like, you just wish you could go back to get... So you see how, like, no one's... Everyone's trying to claw their way out of the season. Does that make sense? Every, we're all, and we all do this in our own way. Season of singleness, oh no, right? Like season of dating and it's not what you thought it would be because you, you, you've, you've heard on Instagram and all the music videos, this is how it's going to be and it's not what it's going to be. Like that is music video, is that not a, you guys do that, right? There are music videos, whatever. I'm not apologizing for that one. Okay, um, so, but that's the thing. Like some of you are too busy, right? And we're about to talk about that. Some of you are too busy and you got to fix some stuff. Um, but some of you need to accept that some, listen to me, some of you need to accept that some seasons are just going to be busier than others. Some seasons are just going to be busier. Some seasons are going to be slower than others. So don't try to force your way, oh, I'm ready for this to be over, I'm ready for this to happen, I'm so bored here. 
trust me, you won't be bored for long, right? That will change. Don't try to force your way. Dragging your feet in the middle of a season is just going to make it worse. Does that make sense? Desperately trying to change this season is just going to make it worse. Accept the season you're in. Um, Accepting the season that you're in is submission to God's bigger and better will for your life. I'm ready for this to be done. I'm done being single. I'm done being bored. I'm done with high school. I'm done with middle school. I'm done with all these things. But right now, you're not opening any doors right now. Like, you're, you're in control, God, so I'm going to trust you with this. And this isn't like a, just trust him. Now let's all sing together. Like, this takes time and practice and reminding. And that's why part of why church is important. So you can be reminded of, hey, hang on, hang on. He's got you in this season. He's got you here for right now. Don't push your way out. All right, that's the first one. Uh, Understand seasons of life. Second thing, understand that seasons of life end. Understand that seasons of life end. Here's why I say this. If you have a crazy busy season, right? You have a crazy busy season. Now, listen, because we're about to get real personal. If you have a crazy busy season, accept that season. Accept it. But, if this is you all the time, never ending, always busy, always stressed, it's not a season. Because seasons end. Summer ends. Winter ends. There's a great phrase that I heard on some TV show that I'll never remember, but that this thing has stuck with me forever. And it's, you can apply it to anything. Listen to this. If you, and some of you may have heard it before. If you meet a jerk, he's a jerk. But if everyone you meet is a jerk, you're the jerk. This is, <laughs> you're all jerks, right? Here's what this means. Put this in with time management. If it's a busy season, it's a busy season. But if it's always busy, if you are always busy, then something is happening in your heart slash schedule that needs to change. Uh, I tell college students this all the time who are buried in work, and they're just, they come to me and they're just drowning, right? Just drowning in it. You know what I'm talking about. You've been there, some of you. And I tell them in college, you either need to drop a class or don't take this many classes again next semester because look at what it's doing to you. But here's, here's where it gets deeper. Some of these students, and some of you will be here, I'm sure, some of these students are in a position where they have a scholarship, and this scholarship requires them to take X amount of hours, right? And work on campus. So this is what we talk to them about. If your job slash scholarship has you locked in, and it's killing you, you and your parents need to have a serious talk about transferring to a new school or getting a new job. And then they went respond with, but that would be such a hassle and such a disappointment and such a, and the money and the, and I, and I say, and I don't mean it in a rude way, but I say, okay, but it's your soul and it's dying. And it happens all the time. And this happens in this community of, of gold stars, which you guys are. This happens all the time. 
You got a student taking 47 AP classes in high school, and then they take 21 hours per semester in college, and they're president over two different clubs, and their parents are cool with it because they think it'll keep you out of trouble. Meanwhile, that's the very thing that's killing your soul the whole time. The very thing that they think is the antidote is the thing that's draining you. You follow me? I want you to listen to this. I want you to listen to this article from the AJC, Atlanta Journal-Constitution, in 2016, written by a mom who let her daughter drop an AP class. <gasps> okay, here we go. This is from the mom's perspective. She let her daughter drop an AP. Here we go. After a few more days of class, my daughter opted to drop AP. Deep down, everybody still okay? Deep down, I felt that my daughter was giving up. Listen to this, listen to this. Tell me this isn't hitting home. Deep down, I felt that my daughter was giving up a piece of her future. I thought that the direction of her life was changing and that certain goals would no longer be possible. Valedictorian, good college, merit scholarship would no longer be options for her. And I thought she would regret her decision. This is the end of the article. It's nearing the end of the school year, and I look back with amusement at how stressed I was. I underline this. I did the right thing by letting her drop the course because my daughter's choice has given her breathing room to enjoy high school, maintain outside-of-school activities that have nothing to do with academics, read books for fun, and get a good night's sleep. In bold. This may not earn her college credit or even a seat in a top-tier university, but I hope it will give her a dose of critical thinking and a sense of work-life balance. Listen to me. You are not a gear in a machine. You were not built to be a gear in a machine. You have a soul, and it must be taken care of. You don't have to be as busy as you are. You don't. You will not get abandoned. You won't get sued if you slow down. Third point. Last one, and then we'll get into the, the stuff. And, I, and I'm going to talk about, I don't want this to sound like I'm saying like, APs are terrible. You need to just take regular classes all the time and drop whatever you want to drop and go tell your parents the pastor said. That's not my point, right? This is not licensed to do that. But, maybe a little bit, but, listen to number three. And this has nothing to do with that, so this is a different point. Number three, learn to say no. Learn to say no. Uh, we talked about this last week. In Mark chapter one, Jesus is healing people, right? Like he's a rock star, and he's healing all these people, and it's very intense and dramatic, and, he, and he's, he's, he's you know, healing people with leprosy, he's pulling demons out of people, it's this amazing thing, and then the next morning, right, you remember this, Mark chapter 1, Peter and his buddies find Jesus, and they're like, Jesus, we gotta, let's go again, let's go heal these people again, and what does Jesus say? He says, no, I have to go to other towns to preach the gospel, because that's why I came here. Jesus says no to people. And if we want to follow Jesus, what must we then do? And age, and listen, listen, some of you are super young, and that's okay. Age will take care of this for some of you. You'll like just get so tired of, of being smacked around by having to say yes to everybody that eventually you'll start saying no. And that's okay. It's part of how growth happens. Age will take care of some of this. But too often, right, 
Too often, we say yes to everything. And I do this all the time, and some of you say yes to me on everything. I'm putting me in here. You say yes to everything, and then you go and help everybody, and you get drained to the bone, and your heart suffers because you haven't had any time for yourself. This, is, this happens. Um, Saturday afternoon free, right? You've been thinking about it all week. Saturday afternoon's free. You wake up, have an awesome breakfast of like whatever kids eat. I don't know. Instagram. I don't know, whatever. So like you're hanging out. You're eating your food, you're chilling, about to Netflix, you're just about to binge until you fade in and out of sleep all day. Amen. Is this not it? The promised land? Bing! Your phone. You hear your phone. Hey guys, it's Ryan from PVN. Hope you're doing well. Hey, just wanted to let you know, blah, blah, blah. Can, can you guys come and help us with this? Or, hey, it's so-and-so from such-and-such. Would you, would you be able to help us with this today? Oh my gosh. And of course... You say yes, and so you go and help, and it drains you, and you've had no time for yourself, and here comes Sunday, and here comes small group, and here comes school, and here we go again, and practice, and here we go again, and you haven't had any time for yourself because we've said yes to too much. But this works both ways. Now, here's where we got to talk. I'm not giving you license to say no to everything, right? We have to go visit your sick grandmother. No. Why? Because pastor said, I'm not supposed to, I'm not going to say yes to everything, mom, so... It's in, the, it's in the Bible somewhere. Um, that's not the point here, okay? Listen to me. We have to be willing to say no to good things so that we can say yes to what's most important. So we can't overcommit, but we also have to be willing to say, yet, to say no to good things so that we can make room for what's most important. Uh, several months ago, I preached on a Wednesday night, and, and I knew, I know when I've got you guys and when I don't. Okay? And this was a night that I knew I had you guys. I knew it was in, I knew the points were landing. It was just I, it was rolling. It was great. I was so pumped. And I finished the sermon. I pulled the, the thing out of the soundboard and I couldn't wait to get home to publish it into the podcast because I knew it was a good one, right? And so I get home and Kristen's telling me about her day while I'm publishing in the podcast. I'm like, mm-hmm, oh wow, I can't believe she did that. Wow. And like it took her about eleven seconds to figure out I wasn't listening. And she leans over my like she's like I'm here, we're li- and she leans over my laptop, like borderline creepy a little bit, and she gets in my face and she goes, you're not at work. And I was like, you're right. I'm, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry, I'm not at work. But look, look you, see how, you see how it was a good thing that distracted me? It wasn't a scandal. A parent wasn't mad at me. I didn't, get, I didn't blow it at the sermon or whatever. Like, you know, nobody got hurt or anything like that, Right? It wasn't a bad thing. It was a good thing that was distracting me. Um, I had to say no to church work so that I could focus on my wife. I had to say no to a good thing to focus on something that was more important. Now, here's the thing. Saying no may sound selfish. It may sound selfish, but it's actually being a good steward of your time. Sometime, now this is where the world will push back. And even good people, like even me, good people will push back when you say no. Because sometimes people will mistake good stewardship of your time for selfishness with your time. You say no because you're trying to take care of yourself. And they respond, not in so many words, but they respond with, how dare you? How dare you say no to me? How selfish of you. Don't let that get to you. You are not doing anything wrong. Follow this. Follow this, my people who say yes to everything. 
Jesus said no to people. Don't think that you're more merciful or more enlightened than Jesus. If he said no, sometimes we will too. Last thing, and this is where we're going to get into some scripture. Jesus is the true cure to time management. Turn to Luke chapter 10. I think it's going to be on the board, Lauren. We got it. Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. This is the story of Mary and Martha, right? Some of you know this, the Sunday school uh, greatest hit. Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. I'm going to read it, and we're going to talk about it for a minute. And then we'll be done. Luke 10, 38 to 42. Is it up there, Lauren? You are a rock star. Here we go. Now, as they were traveling along, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed Jesus into her home. Verse 39. She had a sister called Mary, who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came up to Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care? That my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is needed. For Mary has chosen the good part, which will not be taken away from her. First thing we need to take away from this, look at how Jesus addresses Martha. He doubles her name. Do you see this? Martha, Martha. Doubling means magnification in ancient language. When you're doubling something, doubling a name, put it this way, magnificent, what are you talking about? Doubling a name means doubling the feeling behind the name. Does that make sense? So you're putting emphasis on it. There is so much emotion and care that's coming out when you double a name. And the reason we know that is because you hardly ever see anybody in the Bible doubling a name without also weeping. Uh, when David mourns his son Absalom in 2 Samuel, he says, Absalom, my son, Absalom, my son. He doubles it. The verse before, right before that, it says, the king was moved deeply in his spirit. When Jesus is mourning the city of Jerusalem in Luke 19, he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, if you would just do this, if you would just come to me. You see how he doubles it? 19, verse 19, uh, chapter 19, verse 41 says, He wept over the city. So there's this doubling coupled with this high emotion. Does that make sense? And then the last one, you know this one, on the cross, what does Jesus repeat? He doesn't say, My God, why have you forsaken me? What does he say? He says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why not just say, My God, why have you forsaken me? Because he's emotionally broken. He's trying to show that. And here, in Luke, Jesus says, Martha, Martha. This shows us how much he loves Martha. Who, like so many of you, is trying so hard. And her heart is lost in busyness. Let's meet Martha. Martha is type A all the way down to the bottom. Uh, in John chapter, so Martha and Mary are related to Lazarus. Lazarus comes back from the dead, right? Spoiler alert, sorry. So in John chapter 11, Lazarus, Martha's brother, dies. Jesus is on his way to the tomb to bring Lazarus back. Martha, Martha alone, comes out to Jesus before he even gets to the city and starts blistering him with questions. Everyone else is in mourning, but Martha... She wants her questions answered. Where were you? Why weren't you here? 
He, he's Jesus. But she is Martha. And John eleven thirty nine, 39, Jesus says, roll the stone away. Because he's going to bring Lazarus out of the tomb, right? The, the, the stone blocks the tomb. Roll the stone away so that he can bring him back from the dead. This is in the Bible, eleven thirty nine. 39. Martha interrupts Jesus and says, Jesus, his body will stink. He's been in there for four days. What are you doing? Really? Again, he's Jesus. But she's Martha. She is no nonsense. She is practical. She is impatient. She is decisive. She's very quick to get her work done. And as you can see, she's very quick to tell other people what they need to be doing. Martha has her planner alphabetized with matching tabs by color. She is taking more AP courses in one semester than most students take in their entire lifetime. Martha is the one who speaks up in class. Martha is the one who stays up till 2 a.m. trying to get it all done, and then midnight the night after that. Look in Luke chapter 10, verse 40. Look in Luke chapter 10, verse 40. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came to him and said, So Martha is preparing a feast, right? Ten-course meal, whatever. She's making a feast, which is way too much for one person. What's Martha doing here? Martha is the one who does a group project by herself because, oh, well, they won't do it right anyway, so I'll just do it. This is Martha. The only reason you think the Bible is boring is because you haven't read it. Look at verse 41. Look at verse 41, what Jesus says. Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about so many things. You are worried and you are upset. She is so active and anxious. Martha is one of these people who I firmly believe are sprinkled all over this room, and I fall into this category too a lot. She is a well-organized mess. She is a well-organized mess. I wonder how many of you in here have straight A's, president of this, college credit here, and yet you are drowning in anxiety at the exact same time. Probably a solid amount of you. Christ says, Martha, you are worried this word for worry, it means pulled into pieces, pulled into different directions. She's got her schedule in order, but all the things on her schedule are pulling her in 50 different directions, and she is literally being torn apart. Her schedule is organized, but her soul is torn. Look at verses 41 to 42. This is the good news. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is needed. For Mary has chosen the good part, and it will not be taken from her. She says, Jesus says, you're worried about so many things. Mary has chosen the one thing that is needed. Here's what, here's what he's saying. Mary has one thing in her life that has to be done. Mary has one thing in her life that needs to be done. And Martha, you have 40 things on your list that if they're not done, you'll be miserable. You have 40 things that you think you need. Now listen to me. It is not a sin. Don't go out of here, whatever I'm trying to say, head hung low. Because you think you're too busy. It's not a sin to have dozens of things to do. 
It is a sin to have dozens of things that you think you need. And they'll never be all done. At least not for long. I have an, an outbox on my desk, and every couple of days I look at it and I think, did I not just empty this like yesterday? It just refills itself. Jesus is saying, if you live and die by your schedule, your living and dying will never end. Notice, Jesus knows all these things. He knows Martha is struggling, and he won't send Mary in to help. Why? Because he's working. He is working on Martha's heart. Martha is doing all of this for Jesus. Jesus is the one inside the house. She's doing all this for Jesus. But if she was really doing this for Jesus, if she was really there to worship, then she would stop if he told her to stop. Martha, I don't need ten courses. I just need one. But she keeps going. And then she yells at him. Did you catch that? Do you even care? The person that she's worshiping, the person she's doing all this for, and she yells at him. She's not doing this for Jesus. I wonder how many of us will still be in church a year from now. You guys know people who were here a year ago, and now they're not. How many of you have spent your whole lives coming here, and then after a year of freedom, you're Martha. You're doing it all because it looks good, because your parents will get mad if you don't. You're not here for Jesus. But here's the good news. She's not doing this for Jesus, and she probably doesn't even realize how selfish she's being, how lost she is, and Jesus runs to her anyway. He doesn't just stick with Mary and leave Martha to drown in busyness. He stops teaching Mary. He turns his face to Martha. And he says, Martha, Martha. He's, he's rebuking her, but he's doing it in love. He's reaching into her schedule, reaching into her heart in love. And he doesn't perform a miracle. He doesn't preach a sermon. He talks to her about time management and himself. Martha, Martha. Pretend Christ is talking to you. Martha, Martha, you've given yourself too many things to do. You've turned them into needs, and it's ruining your heart. I am a good king. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. If I know you can only do three things in one day, I will never give you ten. So if you have ten things to do, they're not from me. You don't need these things like you need me, Martha. You don't need these things like you need Jesus.